Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. I'm Patrick Sullivan, your co-host. Podcast by the Bay, otherwise known as Bay City Communications, Inc. We're changing the world through communication. We're not taking any political right, left, middle, or center. Our phone number at Podcast by the Bay is 650-670-8201. Or email us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. www.podcastbythebay is our website. Thanks again for tuning in. We're celebrating over 100 episodes. Please feel free to download any of our shows. They're all free. Um, we have an upcoming interview with four candidates for the congressional seat for the 15th Congressional District in San Mateo County area, and that is for Jackie Spears' office. She has been held office since the year 2008, and she surely has represented the county, the city, and the, and the congressional district with honor. We're going to miss Jackie back there. She's got big shoes to fill. Please stay tuned to listen to the four shows that we have upcoming shows on four of the candidates, four out of the five. We have one candidate that has been a little bit too long, too busy to meet with us. We're looking forward after November 7th to be able to interview Kevin Mullins. So stay tuned and remember, reach out to us at 650-670-8201. This is Patrick with Podcast by the Bay. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Um, I have the distinct honor to interview a gentleman running for the 15th Congressional District for Jackie Spears' office. As many of you know, Jackie Spears decided to retire. Jackie Spears has served since the 2008. I've got the honor to interview Gus Ma-tu-hall. Ma-tu-hall. Okay, that's, that's a little challenging last name. It is. So, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Uh, Gus earned his BA in physics and mathematics from Pomona College and his MBA in international strategy and financing from Yale School of Management. Gus has been tutoring math almost without interruption since he was 13 years old, both as a volunteer and as a professional tutor. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Thank you so, so much for having me. So do you, if I want to ask you a question, the most important question. Yeah, you're, you're, why are you running? Why are you running for the congressional seat? We have to admire your podcast by the day because uh, it's a challenge to run for any public office, and especially since you're, you're not necessarily um, uh, been in public office before, uh, to my knowledge, and uh, this is a new venture for you. So tell us, why are you running for Congress? Absolutely. Um, I, like many Americans, um, I've found politics over the last uh, 10 to 20 years to be pretty uh, emotionally exhausting. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to show how a constructive conservatism um, that kind of uh, puts forth policies that rely on conservative principles around um, freedom of choice, around reliance on markets and incentives to change people's behavior, that there's a set of policies like that that will resonate with us as conservatives that can also achieve a lot of things that are conventionally understood to be liberal goals. And what I always like to sort of point to first on that is, is health care. Um, I'm running on a universal health care plan that's modeled after what Singapore does. Singapore uh, achieves universal health care through universal health savings accounts. So it is not a Medicare for all strategy. It's not a single-payer strategy. Um, instead, everyone gets a health savings account, money gets put into that account, and then you as the, uh, as the consumer spend the money out of that account. You're the one who decides where, the money, where and how the money gets spent. 
Um, Singapore spends one-fourth of what America does on healthcare um, in GDP terms uh, while achieving universal coverage and being top three in quality level across the board. The United States is spending four times as much, and we are at or near the bottom on every quality measure. So you know, there's an opportunity there to spend less money. Um, I think we can do it for, you know, back of the envelope says we should be able to do it for roughly three-fourths of what we currently spend on health care. That would save $600 billion a year. Um, while offering, again, more personal choice and freedom because each individual person would be the one deciding where and how the money gets spent. Um, and Singapore does it with only three programs. So we have a, a ticket of different kinds of government programs that deal with healthcare. So we'd be able to have a smaller administrative state, spend less money, and offer more tr personal choice and freedom while achieving universal healthcare, which I always like to remind my many liberal friends, the Democratic Party has not delivered for you um, in a generation. We've given uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, AKA, AKA Obamacare, a solid 12 years, and uh, after hundreds of billions of dollars and um, a lot of drama and 12 years, we still have only gotten to 90% coverage. So I'm just saying it's time to try. Why don't we try it your way? Why don't we try it the conservative way? See if we can get the universal health care that way, because I think we can. Okay, what background and leadership skills do you bring that your opponents may not bring? Sure. So I you know, I've... Uh, I started a business here in San Mateo County um, in private tutoring, so um, I, uh, I've built it from the ground up here. It now stretches to a dozen states. Um, so I've had to, um, I've sat down with families across this district, kind of understanding, you know, what are their goals, what are their challenges, how do we sort of help families achieve their goals. And I think when politics is really working right, that's what it's about, kind of helping understand what are the problems and challenges that individual families face, and then how do we help how does sort of government kind of put in place policies that can help people achieve their, their goals? And again, I think that's possible to do that while relying on you know, personal choice, um, limited government. I think we can, we can achieve a lot of those things with conservative principles. Okay, well, that brings us back to a question you mentioned earlier. Um, you're, you're obviously running in a race where, in order for you to even be a contender, you're going to have to appeal to some Democrats because Correct. that's predominantly a Democratic county. So, how are you going to do that? Absolutely. So, that's, you know, First of all, I think um, I think it's absolutely true to say I can only win this election if Republicans and Democrats and Independents all work together to make it happen. And I think if there's anything this country needs right now, it's a few more examples of Republicans and Democrats and Independents all working together. Um, and again, I think there is a, a huge opportunity to show how on healthcare we already talked about, but also on some things like climate change. Um, I was in a debate with the other candidates. Um, I've talked about um, a conservative plan to seriously address climate change. Um, I think that it's possible to achieve some, again, conventionally understood to be liberal goals using conservative principles, and that's the thing that brings everyone together. Because as conservatives, we'll achieve some of the things that we want, but liberals will also achieve some of the things that they want. That's something that I think that I can bring to the table that my opponents can't. Um, you know, Joe Biden is currently polling around 42-43% approval, and that projects to a loss of on average, I think 35, 36 House seats. It's almost certainly going to be a Republican Congress come 2022. Um, so what I'm able to offer is support for a, a set of initiatives that, again, appeal to us as conservatives, but can also achieve some liberal goals. And that's something that you know a freshman Democrat in the House minority is not going to be able to not going to be able to do. You know, those sound like really good words, and I think uh, the whole country would probably agree with you, but. Um, since we have back in Washington a partisanship uh, between Republicans and Democrats, sure. how can we do a much better job? I, I think the 
and we, we, I kind of reflect, we have to go back to the, uh, the 1960s and late 60s and 70s to uh, hear congressmen and, and senators across party lines working well together. There seems to be a polarization back there in Washington, a gridlock that's uh, built up by social media, right. uh, and you're right, I'm wrong. So how are we going to change that culture back there in Washington? How would you approach it if yeah. you were elected? Well, first, I think it's you have to sort of, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. So, you know, I've, you know, I'm, I'm obviously running against, um, you know, three you know, established local Democratic politicians. I haven't criticized any of them. I think they're all thoughtful people. Um, you know, I think that I can bring something to the table that, that they can't. Um, and, and I've demonstrated ability to persuade my fellow Republicans to, you know, to kind of go in a direction on policy that, again, I think is conservative, but actually achieves um, some liberal goals. So, you know, I'm willing to model the kind of behavior um, that I would want to see from all our, our elected leaders, which is an ability to sit down with people from the other, other side of the aisle and talk about where's the common ground between us and what can we get accomplished on that common ground. We're not going to agree on all the things, and that's fine, but we can agree on some things, and let's work on, let's work on that. You know, uh, you started to talk about climate control. Can you can you elaborate on that? I'm going to come across about two or three uh, key issues that yeah. I think that would give you an opportunity to express how you feel on it. Sure. Why don't we stick with climate control for this moment? Yeah. Tell us how you, you you differ a little bit with maybe your opponents. Yeah. So um, you know, my my background is in physics and math, and I'm, I'm deeply interested in science. And you know, I think. When you consider that on, on something like climate change, the United States can't solve that issue on its own. Um, we're 14% of global emissions, but um, you know, China's running twice that. Um, India's about to, catch, about to catch up with us on that. So um, it's it's not a solution. You know, we, even if everybody here walks to work for the rest of their lives, it's not going to address the issue. So the only way we're getting out of, of climate change in any meaningful way is to science our way out of it. And I want to make sure that we are the ones who develop the science that's going to going to address climate change. As I was um, reading on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, one of the Canadian ministers crowing about the number of carbon capture patents that they filed. And, you know, I love Canada. If you had to pick a country to be your next-door neighbor, Canada is a great country to have as your next-door neighbor. But I don't want to wake up one day and realize that we've lost the technological race to Canada. I just don't want to do that. Is there anybody out there that feels okay with that? Because I don't. Um, carbon capture, by the way, um, has enormous potential in not just in solving the climate change issue, but because it's something you can pull carbon out of the air potentially anywhere, that means you have the ability to set some of these facilities up in places that otherwise get left behind as we move away from fossil fuels. I always like to ask people, why do you think West Virginians fight so hard for coal? is isn't because they like intrinsically love coal. Coal mining is hard work. It's often been a very dangerous job. It doesn't pay that great. Um, but they love coal because it's their livelihood. And it's a meaningful, like it's something that's obviously very important to our, our society. So it's, a, it's both their livelihood and it has meaning because of its importance. Carbon capture, setting up a carbon capture facility in places like that offers a better, better job probably a better paying job that's just as important it's important to the whole world not just America um, it's also something that I think I would love to sit down with some of our Native American um, communities and say this is something that maybe we set up one of these you know if you want to like I'd be on board with setting one of these up in some of your areas and it will funnel uh, income into your communities one of the things I'm actually really really 
deeply excited about the possibility of being able to get involved in, if I do get to Congress, is um, working with Native American tribes to understand like, what we what can we do to build economies there. Um, I think it's a national embarrassment that um, there's such a disparity in, in economic wealth between the Native American communities and the rest of America. And this, again, it kind of can address some of those equity issues while, while being a new industry that we have that creates jobs and wealth for all of America. It's a, the foundation of a broad-based prosperity. Um, and you, when you look beyond carbon capture, that down the road just past that is fusion power. And um, fusion power is limitless, emissionless energy. And um, uh, they just made a big breakthrough on that in England. And again, other country, love England, do not want to lose a technological race to England. So Okay, across America, I'm going to get into a little more controversial. Yep. Across America, we're suffering uh, a paralysis um, with guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, guns and gun violence, mm-hmm. uh, mass shootings. Right. Uh, we had the Boston Marathon. We we recently had some uh, events happening across the country, whether it's in Los Angeles or whether it's uh, out here in the Bay Area or in San Jose or it's in New York. Um, what, what's your stance on gun control? Yeah, you know, my um, both my brothers are in the in the military. My um, uh, one of them is now retired from the military, but sniper trained. Um, you know, both of them are. Are um, you know big fans of guns? A lot of my friends are, um, and I think I think we have to kind of understand there is a Second Amendment. Um, we have to respect the constitutionality of of guns. I do think that in a nation with 330 million people and 400 million guns, that is a lot of guns for uh, for a country our size. Um, but what I want to talk about are what are the what are the ways that we can lower the number of guns that don't involve forcibly taking them from people. I'm really interested in kind of changing culture in some ways to be um, to be a little bit more um, focused on what I would consider sort of pro-family, sort of pro-life things. And um, a culture that valued life more would not actually be so interested in, in guns. And I think that there's, you know, it's, it's a longer, harder path to get there through cultural change. Um, that's why everyone wants to just like pass a law and like take them away from everybody. But I just don't think that works when you know in a country where the Second Amendment is a, a key part of our constitution. So, so with that said, I think I'm re- we're clear on your position. Mm-hmm. Would that also mean that you wouldn't uh, want to ban certain types of weapons like assault weapons? Uh, what, what, what's your stance on assault weapons? Um, because it, it appears that a lot of times the assault weapons or modified mm-hmm. weapons have been the major cause of, of some mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think a lot about the assault weapon uh, issue. And, um, you know, that's something where, you know, my vote might be up in the air on, on an issue like that. You know, I might be willing to horse trade on, on a super-duper limited um, uh, bill relating to some of that stuff. Um, if, you know, if somebody were willing to trade for me on some of the other issues that I'm that I'm trying to uh, to work on here. Maybe. You know, you, you, you alluded to the uh, the family, uh, which I was greatly appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, can we really talk about um, what's the crisis going on in mental health uh, in this country? Because yeah. there appears to be a mental health issue uh, that's just as big as the gun issue. So yes, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. And um, you know, when I 
at the beginning when we talked about, you know, I, I think politics have been emotionally exhausting for people. I think, um, I do think we are, that's, that is a cultural issue that I want to get at also, is um, just a, a feeling of, um, I think there's a, a sort of feeling of, of hopelessness out there um, that uh, that is, is fairly pervasive. And, I, you know, I'm fundamentally an optimistic guy. I think we can, I think America is actually in a good place to solve a lot of the problems that, you know, challenges that we face. It is going to require people working together, um, and that's that's a big part of why I want to run. I want to sort of show how it is, in fact, possible for people to still work together to solve problems. And I think if people see that, that's going to go a long way toward kind of changing some of the mentality that, so that people feel you know, a sort of sense of hopelessness or powerlessness. Um, you know, and I've I've been working hard in this, you know, this election cycle so far to just get out and talk to regular people as much as possible. And I find that if you spend time with people a little bit, it it cheers them up. I think there's you know, a lot of it I think honestly has to do with isolation and um, and where, you know, things like social media have become sort of a substitute for actually interacting with other human beings. And we are fundamentally social creatures. Um, you know, we're not we're not meant to be isolated. And social media is, doesn't count as interacting with another human being. I mean, social media is fine. Like, it serves a, a nice purpose. Um, I've connected with many old friends I would otherwise have lost contact with were it not for some of the social media platforms. But um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't substitute for human interaction. One of the things I actually hope to um, hope to do as a congressman is, is uh, kind of explore some ways to get people get people interacting with people again. And I think that will actually also go a long way toward um, toward kind of pushing back on some of the mental health. You know, this kind of interchanges into another question. Um, not only in the state of California, but across the country, we're dealing with an epidemic of homelessness. Mm-hmm. A lot of that homelessness is is caused by mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are addicted to uh, drugs. So, mm-hmm. um, with with that embracing, how do you think you would approach uh, trying to solve that problem. Um, I think uh, you, you kind of outlined it that we need to get a closeness back to the community. How do we do that? Do we do that in local government, city, county, state? How do, how do we approach your 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 solution or uh, uh, trying to solve uh, the mental health issue and the homeless issue that we we have wrapping across the country? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot about. Homelessness as well that came up in um, the most recent debate uh, a little bit that we had. Um, I think that's like homelessness is a it's a tricky issue. There's a lot of different reasons why people end up homeless. Not all the same um, same reasons, and so um, and it's also pretty hyper localized. So it doesn't lend itself, I think, as well to a, like an overarching federal policy per se. But I think one of the things I think is. Um, kind of on the table in, in this election is, um, I, you know, I really view the office of a congressman not just as you go to Washington and you try to pass the big bills, but that's the sort of, I think of that as sort of the hard power of the of the role. But a uh, congressional office also has soft power, which means the ability to go into a community and be able to call up some local business leaders and have them actually take your call and say, I'd love for you to meet this nonprofit over here that's doing some work on this issue. Let's talk about, let's brainstorm some ways that you as a business can be a little bit more engaged in the in the community and you know, offer some of your expertise, some of your resources to 
help on this issue. That's something I actually want to spend a lot of time doing um, as a congressman. That's that's because we have to wait for a federal policy to get passed to do anything. I mean, that's that's just a that's a long, slow time scale. When I think you can right now be on the phone saying, "Let's get together," you know, homelessness. I want to get together kind of a a portfolio of nonprofits because I think you can give somebody housing, and that's obviously a sort of basic first step. But if that's all you do, I don't think in a lot of cases it's not going to be enough, right? So there's there's a lot of other issues that go into that. Some is the mental health, making sure people are getting mental health services. Another is making sure people get you know job training, job assist, job planning assistance. Um, some of it might be education related. It's obviously something near and dear to my heart. Um, so how do you kind of get um, you know? And, and usually nonprofits kind of specialize in one of those areas. So how do you sort of create you know teams of nonprofits that can work together to provide the sort of full spectrum of services for people who are um, who are moving out of homelessness and into some kind of housing situation? And how do you get local businesses involved to kind of help on that front, either providing resources or uh, or other kinds of support? Um, I think the same thing, by the way. Um, in terms of economic development, um, in the last uh, debate, one of the organizations was Bellhaven, um, and uh, you know Facebook is right next to to them. And, you know, I, I like to think about calling up uh, the folks down at, at Facebook and saying, "Listen, here's 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 one thing we could do right away. Um, we could." Uh, Get some volunteers from within your because you've got a lot of business experience, um, you know, a lot of business expertise in your group there. Let's run some classes in Bellhaven for how to think up um, ideas for small businesses, and then how do you write a, business, a good business plan? Let's help folks there brainstorm ideas for businesses they want to start. Let's get them the training to put together a good, solid business plan, and then you, Facebook, have created. Many millionaires, people who have some money that they could invest, do some angel investing. You know, this isn't, we're not going to be investing in like the next Google here. These are going to be smaller local businesses, but um, but you bet could make your money back. Um, and you would know that you are building wealth in this community that's, you know, that's, uh, that you kind of are situated in. It's, um, it's a chance to, you know, do some investing, which is, you know, which is fun, and, uh, but build wealth in these communities. Um, and you can do that. That's something you can do without having to pass a federal policy, you know, and that that would have a real impact on underserved areas. I want to think about like how do you create a sandhill road for Bellhaven, Hunter's Point, places like that. Okay, I, I think we're going to move on. You know, yeah. we, we live in a uh, right now. Uh, we're we're just coming out of the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's over. Yeah. We're in a booming economy. We right. have so many millions of jobs that right. are basically not. Not being filled right. uh, for many reasons, maybe right. people retiring, maybe people right. moving on. Right. We also have an economic divide. Right. Um, some people uh, interpret our federal and our federal uh, tax system as a regressive tax system, not a progressive tax system. <laughs> Seems like we're getting to a wider gap between the haves, the have-nots, and the middle class. What's your vision on correcting the tax structure? If there is a vision of correcting the tax structure. Um, what's, what's your policy? What, how do you think the current federal tax system is working or not working? Federal tax system. Well, I think that I mean I think as, as I understand, but from what I have read of, of the federal tax system, it's actually a reasonably progressive uh, tax system, income tax system. I think you know we live in a state that is 
relatively highly taxed. Um, and, you know, I think when you live in a place that's highly taxed, it's fair to expect that, you know, quality of life is quite high. So, you know, what I, what I see that's, you know, we, you know, sort of, we have a big problem with homelessness. When I see that, you know, crime in certain areas and certain ways is rising, when I see that we have the 41st, you know, school system, a public school system in the nation, um, I think, okay, that doesn't seem real consistent with the level of taxation that we have here. You know, in terms of kind of closing the, the gap, you know, that's what, you know, one of the things I was talking about just, just a little bit ago with, you know, how do you kind of get investment into underserved areas? That, I think, is something that you can do without sort of a blunt tool of, um, of trying to change the federal tax code. That's something you can do using, like, private actors and private coordination. Um, that's going to go along, like, investing in um, under-resourced areas is going to go a long way toward the equity issue. Um, in terms of middle class, you know, the universal health care plan that I'm, that I'm running is going to go a long way toward um, helping lower income and middle class people by taking, by reducing the amount that we have to spend in the country um, on that. So that's another that's another way that um, that we can help on the um, on the kind of lower income and middle class families issue. I'm very interested in education reform. That's another one that I think impacts um, uh, lower income and middle class folks as well. So you know, I think there are a lot of different individual policies that you can you can sort of work on. That each of which will help a little bit. Um, the federal taxation thing is a Again, I do think it's actually a reasonably progressive um, structure, and trying to change it is a like a blunt tool. It takes a long time. It's super divisive, and um, you know, I don't know how much bang you really get for that um, after all the work it would take to make any kind of change to it whatsoever. What's your position on global warming? Planet's clearly getting warmer. That's why. That's why I'm running on a, a serious plan to address climate change. It's absolutely getting warmer. Um, you know, I think, you know, over our, in the Republican Party, we sometimes get, I think, a little too distracted with um, kind of trying to, to uh, litigate exactly how much of it is human-caused versus not human-caused. And what I always say to folks is, don't worry about that. Like, who cares? Like, what, what I know is there's global demand for carbon removal. And anything there's global demand for, we build here, we can sell to the rest of the world. That's jobs and money. And you may, if you personally don't believe that carbon is that big a deal, okay, you can laugh about it all the way to the bank when we, when we invent this technology and sell it to everybody else. You know, it's, it doesn't really matter um, whether humans are responsible for 30% of it or 70% of it or whatever. Um, but the planet is clearly warming, whether you know whether you think it's human caused or not, and um, I think that we can uh, that we can address that in a meaningful way again if we science our way out of it. Okay, this kind of leads into another question. There's um, in this country, I think it's a range between three to five percent of the people in this country drive electric cars mm -hmm. or hybrids. Mm -hmm. um, Elon Musk uh, um, obviously has been a pioneer for yeah. the, the electric car. Right. Um, and uh, actually General Motors and Ford are stepping up to the plate. They're mm -hmm. probably not going to catch up with Elon as quick. Right. Um, in talking about freedom of freedom of speech, mm -hmm. uh, do you have any opinion on the recent acquisition of Twitter? By I know it's mm -hmm. tentative of Elon Musk. And, right. and do you have any feelings on that? Well, I mean, I guess good on him if he wants to uh, if he wants to own that thing. Um, you know, I think, I mean, 
the believer in freedom of speech, I think people should be able to say what they what they want to say. I don't think we should silence people. Um, and I think that seems to be kind of his motivation in, in taking it over. I, that seems fine. Um, you know, I uh, again, I, I try to model the kind of behavior I want to see. Like I, you know. I'm on Twitter a little bit. I'm, I'm not really a social media guy, to be honest. If we're being honest, it's to me the only tedious part of the campaign of being a politician is having to actually deal with social media. I didn't have uh, almost any of it. So, going back to your vision, what do you see in five years? Are we going to see uh, hydrogen cars? Are we going to see more electric cars? What's your vision if we're, if we're looking at? Uh, Let's say less than five percent of the vehicles in the next. In the, what do you think in the next five years we're going to have twenty percent? Do you think we can obtain a, a higher goal than we're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I think that's. I think that's where the market is going. I think the. I think the auto companies see that. Um, you know, I, I want to get there through incentives rather than mandates. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, I think if we do. We'll be able to get to the point where you know most people are driving electric cars eventually. Um, you know, hydrogen is is interesting. The answer is maybe you have to build out the infrastructure for that. That's um, hydrogen is a little tricky for from an infrastructure perspective. But um, but uh, I mean, I drive a I drive a beat up 2011 Prius, uh, and uh, said the other day I'll grab it until the wheels fall off of it, and then I'll get a fully electric car. Um, but uh, but I think I think you can get most of the fleet to switch um, with incentives. I don't think the average person actually cares, or even really knows what's under the hood of their car. I think if you ask the average person, they might sound about magic hamsters over there. I don't know what's under there. I don't think anyone really cares. That's when you offer incentives, you can get the vast majority of people to switch. I think the same thing with things like gas versus electric stoves. I think you have to get to say, you're literally not allowed to have one. But I think if you just said, listen, if you switch to electric, you'll take half the price off your property taxes this coming year. People that immediately switch this time they're not going to So, so you, you can get you know, you get eighty percent of the people to switch. You kind of max that out uh, on a practical level. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna put you on the spot Go for, for a moment here. Consider for a moment you've been elected, yeah. uh, elected to office, and you're in the situation with the mm-hmm. president. Okay. What exactly. would you be advising him in the current situation in Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. So you know I think. Joe Biden's number one job is to keep us out of a hot war with Russia. Um, and, you know, credit where credit is due. We have not gotten into a hot war with Russia, so I give them a for that. Um, and I would say, like, that continues to be the number one priority. The number two priority is to shovel as many javelins as we can shovel over there without violating goal number one. Um, you know, and that I give them kind of, I give them a B. Um, I think we could have moved a little faster on giving them um, material. But I'll, you know, I'll grade that on a curve because I don't think anybody thought they would last more than a few days and we're uh, yeah, in the month three of this thing. So, um, you know, so I'll give them a B for that. Uh, you know, I think we should be supporting uh, Ukraine. Um, I actually went to what was then the Soviet Union on exchange when I was in high school. I attended Moscow School in the 23 and uh, uh, <laughs> that included classes on fundamentals of military science, so I can, I can guarantee you I'm the only uh, candidate in this race with Soviet Army military training. But um, uh, the, the Russian people are amazing, and it breaks my heart that they're sad. Like I was telling them, I was canceling the 
for Russian people. And uh, I think we should be opposing in every way we can that doesn't involve winding up in a hot war. Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm glad you talked about social media. We, we have some two predominant uh, TV stations, uh, cable stations, CNN and Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, they both put out what their opinions are. Right. And, um, I'm going to ask you to give me your opinion on what happened in January 6th with the insurrection um, and what you feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. So January 6th is the day I decided to run for Congress. Um, and uh, I did it because... Um, you know, I was watching it all sort of unfold on my television and saw, you know, they were interviewing two little ladies in the red, white, and blue coats and all. But here in the same old country, and I thought, man, I think these two old ladies, like, these are sort of two old ladies from the church I grew up in, you know? Like, you hang out in the basement, you play some bingo, and they tell you some stories, and you have a good old time. You're like two nice little old ladies. Like, these are not... They, have, they do not in any way think they are here to, like, overthrow the government. Right? I, I look at what I saw there, I say 60% of people are there just kind of marching around because they're mad, and that's fine. Like, one of the things that makes this country great is the ability to march around when you're mad about something. Right? That's great. Try that in China. Try that in Russia. Um, 30% of the people that were there would have just marched around like that were it not for the 10% of people who went there to start something. And the 10% of people who went there to start something, I have no problem whatsoever with having them face the full consequences of doing that. Um, I said the same thing about the Black Lives Matter protests. 60% of people who are there are just there marching around because they're mad, and they should be. I mean, there's very real reasons why they're mad. And 30% of the people that are there would have just been marching around, except for the 10% of people who went there to, like, break windows and do things like that. And I don't think that's okay. I don't care. I don't care what the issue is or how mad you are. It is never okay to hurt another human being, and it's never okay to damage somebody else's private property. Like, march peacefully, and then, God bless you, keep doing it until you, know, until you see the changes that you want to see changed. Depending on what, what it is, I might be out there with you. But we march peacefully. Always. No exceptions. Well, guess this is a, a, a moment or a, for you to brag about yourself and tell the people in podcasts by the bay why they should vote for you. Well, um, bragging about myself is not really well, it's exactly my DNA, um, but uh, but again, I do think I bring something unique to the table in this race, which is um, I have uh, from day one been running on the idea of a conservative universal health care plan, a conservative plan to address climate change, um, and I have I mean endorsed. Republican candidate by San Mateo County GOP, San Francisco GOP, California State GOP, California Congress of Republicans. I have persuaded my fellow Republicans to get behind me on a platform that includes those kinds of policies. I have an actual track record for building support within the Republican Party for ideas like universal health care. It's a conservative version of it. Again, it's not Medicare for all. It's not single payer. But it is universal health care. I promise you, no low-income person who doesn't have health care right now cares whether it's Medicare for all or kind of my health savings account way that gets them health care. They don't care. You know, so, um, uh, you know, I'm, you know, again, I believe that the, the three Democrats I'm running against are, you know, nice, thoughtful people. But, you know, are they going to be able to build support in the Republican Party for what they want to do? I don't see that likely, honestly. Um, but, you know, I have a track record of doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to sit down with, with folks across the entire political spectrum to figure out where the common ground is and what we can get done. And, again, 
motivate my fellow Republicans to, to get behind me on some of these things. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for the interview and thank you for running for Congress. I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much, Pastor. I really appreciate it. Wow, 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 wow